Will you pray with me as we come to God's word? Our Father, we recognise that uh, as your word is spoken, that you speak. As we read and consider your words, that you speak through history, through generations, through right down to now and to our present circumstances and our very lives. And so, Lord, I ask that you would humble us before your mighty throne, revealed here, that we would hear what you want us to hear. Lord, I ask that you would make clear your word. Lord, I, I don't want to say things that are confusing or unhelpful, so I ask that you would bring great clarity, but also boldness, Lord, that the work, the great work of God would be made known and the finished work of Christ will be revealed to us. And Lord, I also recognise that uh, we need your help to open our hearts to pay attention to your word even. And so I ask for everyone here that you would open our hearts to pay close attention to your word and to consider these things deeply, that you would change and transform us that our lives would live for the vision of Jesus that we see here, the great Son of Man, and not be consumed by fear and chaos that we see in the kingdoms of humanity. Lord, work amongst us this morning, I ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a great mist rolling off the ocean this morning. Did anyone see it? As I was driving down, or someone saw it. I was driving down the hill, had this beautiful view of the ocean uh, and the city. And oddly, the city was clear, but the mist was rolling in over the city from the ocean, obscuring buildings, obscuring everything that was before it. So there was just whiteness, and you couldn't see through it. And when it comes to the second half of the book of Daniel, many people avoid it. It's like a mist that rolls in over the clarity that we have and many people are confused by it. You might uh, think, as as you heard the word read, that these are confusing images. And many uh, people have told me they've never heard teaching from the second half of the book of Daniel because of the confusion that often arises from it. But I... Thank Peter before for earlier reading to us, which I don't normally preface um, the sermon by reading another scripture, but I will today. Uh, This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and this is what it says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. And so this morning, we underline the all. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And so what many people find confusing uh, in the book of Daniel, I hope to bring clarity to you by the work of the Spirit of God this morning as we enter into something. Now, what you'll find... Um, in the book of Daniel as we've been going through this series, the first half, the first six chapters really cover narrative. They cover stories and events that happened in the life of Daniel and his contemporaries in the kingdom of Babylon around about 600 BC and uh, for about 80 years or so uh, nearer to us. But now as we enter chapter 7, we 
start hearing and reading about prophetic visions, visions of things to come, visions of terrifying beasts which symbolise rulers and nations and the kingdom of this world. But we also see an exceedingly great vision of God too. Now, what many people find divides the book, I think actually unites it. Because the book of Daniel, because it is God's word, speaks to every generation of humanity from the first chapter to the last. And so because of what we believe about God speaking through his word, we come to the second half of Daniel equally as expectant that he will speak to us personally in our current circumstances and equally as expectant that the terrifying, because you know, Daniel himself found these things terrifying and the perhaps alarming and anxiety-producing things that sometimes we see in the world around us will be brought under the sovereignty of God at the end, is what it says, but also, and this is my prayer this morning, that it will be brought under the sovereignty of God today in your heart and in this church, in our lives. Because like the mist that rolls in from the ocean, the chaos of the world sometimes rolls in over our lives and all we have is fog around us. Our lives can feel consumed by the chaos that is around us and so then a symptom of the chaos of messy lives in a messy world is anxiety. And this morning, this very morning, God wants to speak into that through his word from Daniel chapter 7. And so let's turn to it and let's ask the question, how does the rain of the Son of Man rule over chaos and anxiety in this world? Let's first have a look at the chaos of the kingdom of man that opposes God. What you'll find uh, in the vision, uh, in the sort of first part of Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 to 8, you get four beasts that turn up, uh, one after the other in succession. Now this actually reminds us of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. And what we learn in Daniel chapter 2, we can then apply to give some clarity to Daniel chapter 7. The first beast is a lion with eagle's wings, which typically we would understand as the Babylonian kingdom. And it explains that uh, those eagle's wings were torn off at some point. And again, we remember that Nebuchadnezzar went through a personal breakdown. He said he became like a beast, which is interesting that these are described as beasts here. And so the king of the greatest empire the world had ever seen to that point, the king of Babylon, became beastly in himself. And that's the first kingdom represented here as a beast, a lion with eagle's wings. Then the second, uh, second beast arises out of this chaotic ocean, this sea, is a bear. And again, we generally understand that to mean the next uh, sort of empire that arose after the kingdom of Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire. Of course, this is following history. So I'm not saying anything that is uh, particularly new. These are the things that stand in history. The third beast, we typically understand, there's the leopard with wings that uh, has four 
heads upon it, we typically understand to be Greece. And a leopard is a fast cat. And with wings, you can imagine it's exceptionally fast, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to face a leopard with wings in the street, would you? Well, the leopard with wings, uh, typically we understand to mean Alexander the Great, who by the age of 32, as the great Greek general, had conquered most of the known world. It said that he walked into the city of Babylon and they bowed to him like a god. He didn't even take his army in front of him. He walked in front of them, Alexander the Great, and the great city of Babylon bowed to him. And then fourth, the fourth beast, this terrifying beast, one that it seems actually fills Daniel with terror, is the Roman Empire, one that's different from all that's come before it. Because, in many ways, the Roman Empire was different. It stood for almost a thousand years in one form or another. This is an empire that had an astounding level of technology, military might, political power and social control over people. You can imagine a kingdom standing for a thousand years. It's something that none of us have been a part of. No kingdom to this, like to today, has stood for a thousand years, and yet the Roman Empire did. So it was different than everyone that came before it, before it, but it is described as a terrifying beast with iron teeth and ten horns. Now, this is, of course, where it gets complicated because uh, this fourth beast that we see here seems to have God come and interrupt the vision of the beast and declare judgment and destruction for all the evil of humanity and bring it to an end instantly. And does anyone know the history, what happened after the empire of Rome? Well, humanity kept going, didn't it? The world hasn't finished, has it? Christ hasn't returned yet, has he? And so there seems to be this gap. Mentioned, And there's a figure that arises, the Son of Man, who we'll get to shortly. But one of, So this is the historical aspect of it. That's what we see in the text. That's most likely what is going on. But I want you to just understand something that is a general principle for every era. And that is humanity's rule over the world arises out of chaos. One kingdom rises up after another. There is no long-term stability. We live in an, an age, perhaps a generation in this country, of unprecedented stability, ease and comfort. And yet you can almost feel that it's coming to an end. There's wars and rumours of wars in the world. Is there not? There's a general heightened sense of anxiety and it's actually shown with the clinical levels of anxiety being higher than ever before in this country. Though we have, unpre get this, we have unprecedented ease, prosperity, comfort, and yet what is the result of the, you know, the chaos in the world coming into our hearts? Increased clinical anxiety that we feel, that seems to consume our minds. Even Daniel felt it when he just dreamt about it, when he had a vision of the night. This godly man, this man who seems to have been able to stand up 
right? He seemed to be able to stand up against the weight of an empire seeking to crush him into its image. He seemed to stand up for God and live a godly life amongst his Babylonian empire. And yet even he, it says, he experienced anxiety. He was anxious. It says in verse 15, and the visions of his head alarmed him. So we're not alone in feeling a bit anxious uh, and perhaps increasingly so. And because we see Daniel, when he saw this, was anxious about it. One of the realities, though, of anxiety and one of the realities of fear is that the more we think about the chaos in the world and perhaps how it touches our lives or it could touch our lives, the more anxious we become. I want you to notice something, and this is very important for us to see. In verse 7, when Daniel sees this fourth kingdom, which we would identify as the Roman Empire, but perhaps is an ongoing paradigm for humanity, he calls it terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. And then as he considers these things and he wants more information, you know, he seems to be having an interaction in his dream with an angel. Once we get to uh, verse 19, it says this fourth kingdom is exceedingly terrifying. Notice the increase in severity. The more he thinks about it, the more he's concerned about the nations of this world crushing God's people, though he seems to have forgotten that God seems to triumph at the end. But he personally is crushed by it. It's exceedingly terrifying. Notice that in verse 15... The way that Daniel feels is anxious and alarmed. And verse 28, the end of the chapter, he's greatly alarmed, so much so that his colour changed. We're seeing physiological responses to the anxiety that he is experiencing. I mean, like, this is the real deal in terms of anxiety that Daniel is feeling. And as he looks and considers the vision that is given of what humanity is really like, his heart is greatly troubled. So what do we see? Well, we see that there's this kingdom of humanity which is, as a symptom, producing anxiety amongst its people because it is chaos out there. Though we're in peace and prosperity, and we're really not in, perhaps in some of our lives we're in a bit of chaos, but on the whole in our society we haven't experienced a great measure of destruction or famine or sword or pestilence, maybe a little bit of pestilence the past couple of years, but truly, when you peel back the curtains, things are pretty dark and chaotic. In the ancient Near East, uh, the idea of a sea was actually pretty common amongst all the cultures that that was the source of chaos. So beasts arising out of the sea was pretty normal for people to understand as bad and terrifying things. You know, most people were religious in those days. And so anything that came out of the sea was an, an agent of chaos. And that is what uh, Daniel's vision shows us, is that chaos comes. One nation, violent nation after another, some more violent than the rest. I mean, the Roman Empire, anyone who stood up against them, they crushed them with incredible brutality. 
Now, I've, uh, having looked into these things, I could not tell you uh, with a straight conscience how brutal some of these nations had been to people on earth. There is a great and terrifying reality to the kingdom of man and this sea of chaos that comes. And yet there is this fascinating event in the New Testament which speaks to God's power. And we see it in our text, but I want to illustrate this for you in what Jesus does when he hits the sea and there's a storm. When Jesus uh, is on a boat with his disciples and a great storm rises up, a great windstorm over the sea, Jesus remains asleep in the boat, but his disciples are afraid. They're afraid that their boat is going to be consumed by the waves. And that's pretty common because off the, the high mountains around the Sea of Galilee, there was quite powerful storms that would come. And many people were, did die as a result. And so they wake up Jesus in their great fear, Jesus' closest followers, and Jesus rebukes them for having little faith. And what does he say to the wind and the waves? He says, be still. And the wind and the waves obey him. And so right at this moment, as I've given us a bit of a bleak picture of humanity, one that Daniel himself took on and felt and experienced anxiety as a result of and had physiological responses to, I want to speak right now that Jesus has the great power and authority over the storms of chaos in this world and in our personal lives. He has authority over them that he would just speak and they would stop. This is the Son of Man that we see in our text who is presented before the Ancient of Days and everything bows before him. All of humanity will bow before him. All dominion and rulers will bow before him. No one can stand up before him. And so that is hope for us this morning. It's hope to actually, what I want to do and what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do is to diminish the level of general anxiety in our hearts. Because when we consider how things are going in the world, what God wants to tell us is that he will bring the chaos of the kingdoms of humanity and the ongoing cycle of destruction and violence to an end. He will do it. It will end and he will rule over it. There's a beautiful refrain, actually, uh, in our text today. Uh, it's in verses 17 and 18, as really this is summarised by the angel who speaks to Daniel. And it says this, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. His summary is, these things will happen, yet God will triumph. And that is what he wants us to see this morning. So there is great chaos in the kingdom of man that opposes God. That's the first thing I want us to see and notice as the curtain is perhaps pulled back. The second thing I want you to see and to notice is the great power of the kingdom of God represented by the ancient of days. Notice that Daniel gets to the height of terror in his vision and suddenly... Upon him it becomes a vision of the ancient of days. What is he doing? He's sitting on a throne. There's no sea of chaos amongst the ancient of days. He is seated. 
He is unopposed in his rule. Notice. Scholars say his white hair reflects his great aged wisdom. He is truly the ancient of days with no beginning and no end. The fire, scholars tell us, represents his intense power to act in judgment, to do good and to deal with evil at the same time. Notice the innumerable thousands serving him and all serve and obey him. Notice that he has opened the books. The court is sitting in judgment and it will, as we see in verses 11 and 12, destroy those who oppose God and those who perpetuate violence and destruction in this world. He will do it. It will be done. Justice will come. This reminds us directly of uh, the second psalm, which I'm going to read out for you, just the first six verses. It says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's reign is unopposed. He is matchless in power. No matter what the nations of the earth put up in violence, in destruction, in terror, God will come in great power because he sits at his throne. That should encourage us. That should give us a sense of awe at his majesty. Here's a good question for you, though, this morning. If you believe all this, all of it to be true, that God is mighty, that even if the world is a mess, even if our lives are messy to varying degrees at varying times, even if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin and that he rose from the dead in his great victory over Satan, sin and death, and has promised new life to everyone who believes in him because of the power of his resurrection life that he gives freely of the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him, even if you believe in all those things, do you still experience anxiety? That's the challenge of the Bible. That's the challenge for Daniel, actually, because Daniel sees God high and lifted up, doesn't he? His vision of terror is interrupted by a vision of splendor and grandeur and awe-inspiring majesty of God. And he's still anxious. He's still anxious. That's good to know that we're not alone, isn't it? We're not the only ones that are still anxious, though we believe the right things, perhaps. So there must be something more that we need to learn. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Great Divorce, which is a, quite a comical uh, explanation of sort of heaven and hell and what happens in the afterlife. It's fiction, but it's got a lot of truth in it. It describes a, a ghost who's sort of on the way up, as you will, after a person's died, on the way up and meets an angel on the way. Uh, and, but this ghost, this person, has a little red lizard on their shoulder. 
And this is how it's described. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. Now this lizard, this little red lizard, continues to sit on this man's shoulder and he can't get rid of it. An angel, uh, a burning one, describes in the book, appears before the man and offers to quiet the lizard, but in order to quiet the lizard, he must kill it. But the man fears that he will lose something, that he'll be hurt if he allows the lizard to be destroyed. The man knows the lizard, the little red lizard, is unhelpful. He knows that the little red lizard has been whispering things into his ear for a long time. He's frustrated with it. He's even angry with the lizard, but the lizard seems to have a hold on him that he's not quite ready to let go. And so he makes several excuses to this burning one who wants to destroy the lizard for him. First, the man wants to discuss it a bit more. Let's talk about this lizard. Let's lay out everything lizard-like about the little red lizard that's on his shoulder. You know, he feels like drastic action and even killing the lizard is perhaps too extreme. Is there another way? And the angel replies, no, there isn't. The second excuse, the man says the timing is not good to kill the lizard. He wants to go back to earth, see his doctor first, then come back to the angel and see whether it really needs to kill the lizard. But the angel says, no, all times are present now. Third, he wants, a, he wants to see that the timing perhaps is not right. Maybe we could get rid of the lizard another time. It's a bit busy right now, you know, got lots of things, eternal judgment to think about. Don't really want to get rid of the lizard anymore. Maybe we could just do it another time. Let's book a rain check. We'll do an appointment in a few weeks. And again, the angel replies that the present will be present now, not then. At this point... The angel reveals to the man, or the ghost, that he can only kill the lizard if the man gives him permission. And then finally we hear from the lizard. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past says the little red lizard, but I promise I won't do it again. You see, fear and anxiety can be like a little red lizard on the shoulder. It can whisper to us constantly. We know instinctively that to give up the fear and surrender ourselves into the hands of God again, whenever anxiety seems to speak, whenever fear seems to grip us, there will be a cost. We recognise that to, sur to surrender to God, there might be some cost associated with it. And the reality of the situation of fear and anxiety in our lives is that it cannot be solved ultimately by mere human solutions because the cause of the, gr of the deepest anxiety is the chaos of the human world around us. The only way to deal with that is for God to come in and interrupt it like he does in Daniel's vision. 
for the Son of Man, the pinnacle of the vision to come upon our lives and us to submit ourselves fully to Him. This is perhaps a scary vision for many. And yet the great power of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who is presented before the Ancient of Days and all the authority and power of the Ancient of Days is handed over to the Son of Man. He invites us to come and surrender ourselves to him, to kill the little red lizard on our shoulder and to have his power rule over our lives. The Bible tells us a great an everlasting promise that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And this perfect love is not an abstract idea. It is a man, the son of man. Interestingly, the, the ghost with the little red lizard finally surrenders. The lizard is destroyed. And it says, when he rose, I thought his face shone with tears. But it may have only been the liquid love and brightness, for in that country you cannot discern them, which flowed from his eyes. There's a great relief and a great power when God comes to bear on our lives. So we've looked at the chaos of the world. We've looked at the greatness of the kingdom of God and the problem that arises even when we believe that anxiety can still remain. It's like a lizard that needs to be, red lizard that needs to be put to death. But we must come, we have to come to the climax of the vision, which is the Son of Man himself. Everything has been leading up to this point. The, the pulling back of the curtains of the way the world really is, the interruption of the Ancient of Days on his throne, ready to judge. And then the Son of Man, to whom all authority and power and dominion is handed over. Look at him. Consider him. The comfort of God's word to us this morning is that these human kingdoms, the chaos, the chaos that perhaps there is in our own life will end. God's people will reign under him forever in peace and stability. And it will all center on the great figure of heaven the Son of Man, to whom all will serve and see his glory. This figure is unique. He is before all things. He is greater than what we see on the human level. Yet he bridges the gap between humanity and heaven. Notice the term, the Son of Man, and yet he can enter the courts of God. For us to be able to live in this world and yet be set free from anxiety, we need someone to stand in our place, an advocate, someone who knows us, who's lived our life, who personally has experienced anxiety and yet overcame it. And that person is the Son of Man here the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to us in the New Testament who the Bible tells us passed through the heavens, down, became a human being, the incarnate Son of God. 
He took on the title, the Son of Man, referring to himself, taking on this picture. He, in preparation for his great victory over sin, Satan and death, entered into a a, a law court where he was tried falsely and he spoke to them. When they asked him, in Mark 14 it says, they asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming, coming with the clouds of heaven, quoting Daniel chapter 7. Jesus, as his eyes begin to look to the cross, where he would pay for the chaos and to deal with the chaos of humanity, he quotes this verse saying, this is me. He has come to deal with it. He has come to end it. And he will deal with it through the power of the cross. And so as he quotes these words, they say, blasphemy. And they take him to the cross. Yet before this, just before this moment, only hours earlier, Jesus wrestled with the great anxiety so that we can know that he is sympathetic to our us anxious people. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was wrestling with the reality of taking the, the punishment and the consequence for the chaos and the evil of this world, when he was wrestling with that before God the Father in prayer, he said, not my will but yours be done. He was so anxious, his sweat was like drops of blood. And yet at that very moment, his obedience triumphed over anxiety. And so we know with Jesus Christ that we can come to someone who has experienced everything that we have experienced even more so because it took a far greater weight than we could possibly imagine when it came to bearing the consequence for sin on his shoulders. We know that he knows what we've gone through and yet we can come to him and to his lordship because he was victorious over it even as he suffered for it. And the good news is that Jesus took it to death And he rose again, freed from it. Did you know that God became anxious for you? Did you know that? The Son of Man took on alarm and anxiety and perhaps his colour did change. Like Daniel, he had a physiological response when he was sweating like drops of blood. That he took on anxiety for you and I and yet he bore it to its end. He extinguished it. So when we look then to Jesus, we consider this son of man, we consider someone who has done it. We can look to someone who has experienced experienced it to its most immeasurable degree and conquered it. And we can invite him to come into our hearts. There's this song going around at the moment. It's um, it's, It's quite an old song. It's by Kate Bush. Any Kate Bush fans in the house this morning? There's a couple. Some of those have been watching um, series on Netflix, I know. But others might be Kate Bush fans from the beginning. Well, there's this, there's these uh, lyrics in the song that go, I'll make a deal with God that we could swap places. 
or make a deal with God that we could swap places. It's actually talking about uh, that a man and a woman could swap places because then perhaps they'd understand one another. And yet, I was thinking about this song and I thought, God did swap places and he does understand us. He did say, I'll make a deal. I'll take your sin and you can have my position with the Father. I'll take on the chaos of this world and you will be set free from it. I'll take on your anxiety and I will give you peace. He did make a deal and he fulfilled it. That is the great promise of our God. Let me finish with this. What's the point? What's the point of all these things? There's a couple of things I want to point out to you that I hope will be helpful. At the end of Daniel chapter 7 and verse 28, we see that Daniel kept the matter in his heart. Why did he do that? I mean, this is actually... um, This vision actually uh, goes back to the reign, uh, it says, of Belshazzar, whom Belshazzar has died as we got to the end of chapter 6. He's already done with. Another king and another kingdom has risen up. Why did Daniel keep this matter in his heart? Well, I believe that he didn't understand it because he needed the Son of Man to be revealed in the flesh for it to make sense. That is, this section of the Bible, in fact, all of the Bible, but this one in particular today, only makes sense in light of Jesus, in light of what he's done. When Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, he caught up with a couple of disciples when they were on the road to Emmaus. And he spoke to them. And this is what it says in Luke 24. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I want you to notice the alls in that scripture I just read out. Beginning with Moses and and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What does this tell us? It's all about Jesus. When you read the Bible and when you consider as as you come to it, you might be a regular here, you might be fairly new to Christianity, wherever you're at. You need to make a decision at some point that the Bible is about you and what you need to do to make yourself right with God, or the Bible is about Jesus and what he has done to make you right with God. You need to decide which one it is. Because when Jesus speaks here, that it is all about him and what he has done, that the Son of Man, the Christ, came to suffer, to enter into glory, that he would win for himself a people. And if you come to the conclusion in agreement with the words of Jesus and the testimony of Scripture that it is about him, then you will have a sure and solid foundation for your life. And when you are anxious and when you are fearful, you can turn to him because you realise it's not about you getting your life together and being good enough for God. It is about what Jesus has done because only 
the Son of Man, was righteous before the Ancient of Days. And only the Son of Man was worthy that the Ancient of Days, as we read in our text, was willing to hand over the whole kingdom to him. Lastly, lastly, there's a parallel text to verse 13 and 14. Verse 14 says, chapter 7 and Daniel says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. And the parallel text is in Matthew chapter 28. And it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, verse 18, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is that a parallel text? Do you notice Jesus, the Son of Man, has having had all of it already handed over to him after he has risen from the dead? And what does he say to his people? Go tell everyone. Go tell everyone. Go proclaim the news that God has come, that the Son of Man is reigning with all power and authority handed over to him and go and tell the world that there's a way out of chaos that there's a way to find freedom. There's a way to find peace and hope in the world and it comes through him. And when, I I tell you, I don't think you'd be able to stop telling people once Jesus becomes more the centre of your life than anything else. You know, we often talk in church circles about trying to encourage people to evangelise. Well, I believe firmly, and I hope you do as well this morning, that if Jesus is the centre of your life, is if he is reigning over your life amidst a chaotic world and you trust that every tribe, nation and uh, people group and tongue, there will be someone from everyone who will believe in him, then nothing will be able to stop you from sharing this good news with your friends because you will be without fear. The great motivator for telling a world about Jesus is that he has come, that it is true, and that his perfect love does cast out all fear. And so there's little excuse for us. I'm so glad for this text, for Daniel uh, chapter 7, because as I consider for myself, And as I consider for you that there are many things that promote fear in our lives and in this world, we have a God who will bring it to an end and has begun his glorious work of doing it one soul at a time. And I'm so glad to be a person who has experienced it. And I pray that you will too, that you will experience his great grace upon you. Why don't you join with me as we pray? Our Father, this morning we've considered many things, but above all we've considered the greatness of you, Lord Jesus, the Son of Man. 
And we ask that today his greatness and power would come to bear on our lives. Lord, let not this time be wasted. We believe that your word works in great power. And so we ask that you would soften us to your great power and change us as we believe these things today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.